You're listening to the Irish Times Roisin Meets podcast. Welcome back to Roisin Meets. Hilary Fannin is a playwright, a writer and a columnist with this newspaper and I'm delighted to have you in again here with us, Hilary. You. you write a column that when it originally started it was called 50-something. Mm. Um, it's not called that anymore. It's got no name. Mm. But the idea was, I suppose, at that stage of your life um, what it was like and you write very honestly about all those mm. things. We're here to talk about your book Hopscotch yeah. which is out in paperback now yeah. and we will talk about that. But first I want to talk to you about ageing and about documenting yeah. ageing in a newspaper paper column actually yeah I mean it's interesting I think when I started the column I was I just turned 50 and we were kicking ideas around in here about what the column might be around it might be about and I I said oh you know I'm just just about to be 50 maybe it's a kind of view from that side of the hill really (laughs) not really believing either that I was 50 you know because I was thinking I'm just yeah I (laughs) I think I'm just you know I'm really 30 I'm just pretending so that I get you know a gig Um, anyway uh, (laughs) so I started writing and it was funny because the people responded to people responded to it on the basis of something that kind of I understood internally which was like you wake up one day and you're 50 and you think I have no idea how I got here I have no memory of getting here you know, as I said in one of the columns, I spent a decade under the bed looking for my eyeliner. And that was one decade that was gone, you know. And then there were kids. I had a couple of kids and I had one when I was 40. And that I was exhausted for another 10 years. So, you know, suddenly I was 50. And I really internally felt exactly the same as I did when I was 19. But then I was talking to my mother, who's 89, right? And worryingly, she said to me that she feels exactly like she did when she was 20. God, that is worrying. No, that is really scary. I don't, worry. I, think, no. I don't find that no. good <laughs> No, thing. no, it's not. And the other day I brought her and she bought a pair of bright red shoes with little straps on them. And I thought, oh, yes, she's actually six. Anyway, um, yeah. So how does it feel to be writing? It's really nice to have an opportunity to write about about being, experiencing life in your 50s. I think it's a really positive time. I think it's a fantastic time, to be perfectly honest. And I would hand and heart say that I'm happier in this decade of my life than I've been in any other single decade of my life. Well, that's cheering. Yeah. That's a bit better now. I genuinely mean that, yeah. But it's interesting because there are an awful lot of books out um, about this time of life, um, mm. particularly about, say, there's one called Middle Pause, there's books about menopause, there's a Second mm. Spring mm. thing, which you've mm. ri- written mm. about recently. Mm. It's kind of like... Uh, back in the day and say maybe our mother's generation or father's generation that you know people just got on with things they didn't analyse every stage of their life but now Mm. we're obsessed with kind of parsing everything and sort of saying what things are like and analysing it but you think we're in danger of analysing to death Um, yeah we probably are in a danger but I mean everybody but but it's happening all around us because there's commentary on everything. There's commentary on absolutely everything. So they may as well comment on being being 50s in your 50s or 60s or 70s. But I think there's a difference. I mean, <clears throat> I think one reason why there's more commentary and why there's more articulation about this decade. And it is because for people, for a lot of people, it is the beginning of a new freedom which it mightn't have been for previous generations. You know, so for instance, I have two sons. One is 20 and the other is 14. Um, I can, you know, without sounding like a terrible old cow, I can (laughs) see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't that I didn't like having kids. It was a great thing. But there is, you start regaining that sense of, you know, you're looking at kind of slightly wider horizons again. You know, you're looking at the world in in a slightly more open way and a slightly more explorative way again. 
and and you maybe have you're less panicked I'm certainly less panicked about things like what will I do with myself what am I going to do with my life you know um, how am I going to make a living you know some of those things have been sorted out although nobody has tenure or security really but but there's an openness and maybe that's why we're more analytical we're looking at possibility I think but is it also on the flip side of that is it also the uh, the sort of fear thing is it also this idea that like you know this thing where you've less time to live than you have lived yeah. you know that yeah. sort of moment yeah no that's real weird you do wake up sometimes and you go <laughs> I'm 54 so if I like do this all over again I'll be 108 <laughs> you know chain to a radiator somewhere you know stop um no. Do you ever wake up with that kind of uh, sense of, oh, God, there's not enough time to do all the things or to be the person I'm supposed to be, really? <laughs> no, I don't. And maybe, you know, if I was kind of brighter or, or more, you know, <laughs> more worried in a general way, I would. But I don't really, you know. And also, you know, without being kind of, you know, too maudlin about whatever, you know, I've three siblings. All of them have had cancer and all of them have survived cancer in the last decade. My sister twice. One of my sisters had it twice. Um, I have had friends who have been very ill and survived illness. I have lost people that have been close to me who haven't survived. And, you know, I think you just say to yourself, man, this is just... It's just really great to be going with energy and wellness, you know. And I know I'm only 54, so, like, I think I'm really young, you know. But um, you just feel like the gates are open a bit. And that there's a road to travel, and I'm very much looking forward to to you know the next twenty years. <laughs> and, and then and then I'm going to go to bed <laughs> and watch soap operas and eat. And you mentioned your mum there, and she's eighty nine. Eighty nine. And she, yeah. her health has been her health has been pretty dodgy for the last year. And she so that's another new tenants. phase of your life in a way, yeah, yeah. really trying to care for your mum. Yeah. And I mean, I've been writing about that and trying not to write about it all the time because, I mean, sometimes in the column, I just want to write, oh, my God, this is really hard. Will somebody kind of help or could you send supplies <laughs> or maybe people would like to feed me or send me a bottle of wine, anything. You, know? <laughs> but really, you should do that sometimes. I just, these are things I'd like. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody supply me? Yeah, yeah. No, there is a thing, you know, uh, Jake is 14 and my mother's 89. And so I don't, I can't do maths. But I was just going to say, there's some neat multiplication there is or division that, or something. You know. But you do sometimes find yourself bang slap in the middle of, you know, that, you know, those pulls. And when Mary, my mother, fell and um, she was living independently and painting in very good shape. And then one night she got out of bed and she wasn't wearing her bleeper and she fell. She ended up on the floor all night. She wasn't found till the next day. And as they say, you know, those, those, those words, a fall changes everything and a fall changes everything. But remarkably, she pulled through over 10 months. She's recently gone to live in a residential care home and she's looking at it as a new phase in her life. Very positive. I mean, her brain is is, you know, clear, sharp as a pin. But physically, she can't um, manage anymore on her own. But she's looking at this as a, as a kind of whole new departure. And really, I mean, that's very positive. And is she actually talking to you about that? I mean, are you having those yeah. conversations? Oh God, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, big time. And she'll say, right, this is a whole new phase of my life. So what do I want to bring forward from the last phase of my life? So she paints. So she has set up her easel and she has her paints and she's... She's painting acrylics now instead of oils because oils take so long to dry. She might have, you know, left the planet. 
<laughs> so she's painting in acrylics because it's quicker. Yeah, well, fair you know, enough. No, but she's very pragmatic. Po- yeah, she's pragmatic. She's very positive. Okay. She's warm. Yeah. And when you're looking at her and she's in her residential care home and yeah. on your, you know, she's kind of seeing it as a new phase. Is that yeah. something, again, when you think about it, do you, do you get flash backs forward, yeah. flash forward into yeah. your own? I do. Yes. And I and, and I mean, there's a thing with Mary's, you know, in the old days, she wouldn't put the bins out without her lipstick on, you know. Now she wouldn't leave her room without her lipstick on, you know. And I see a kind of, I, I see a kind of, Obviously, that's a very shallow thing to say, and I'm a much deeper person than that. But um, <laughs> I see a kind of, I see a kind of energy in that. Do you know what I mean? And if you have that kind of energy, and it may be different for other people, you know, not everybody's going to kind of hang their, you know, their their energy on lipstick. But I I see a kind of fundamental desire to keep listening and keep awake and keep exploring and keep receiving things. You know, Mary's a fantastic reader. You know, and I just, you know, maybe I'm very naive, but I see decades unraveling and I'm still, and I feel that there's great possibility for living, you know. I think the toughest time, and it, this could be me again, I think the toughest time for me is when my kids were very, very small and I was very, very tired and I was trying to work really hard and, you know, you just spend, you spend most of your life with your head in a washing machine, you know what I mean? And that, I found that hard. Yeah. I found ironing hard. <laughs> I don't do ironing, so no, I wouldn't I, do, know, I gave up doing ironing. Did you? Yeah, completely. Imagine ironing with your life. I, I just... remember a thousand years ago, <clears throat> watching the Late Late Show one night, and I was about nine or something, and Polly Devlin was being interviewed oh, by yeah. Gay Byrne. And she said... Gay Byrne said something like, you're a lovely girl. What do you do with your days? But, you know, yeah, he's yeah. Nice. in the gay Byrne way, can, can you know, know who can do? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And he, no, he was sweet. <laughs> and he's and she said, well, she said, one thing I don't do is iron. And she said, I have no idea how many shirts my husband owns. And I'm 54 now, so take away nine, whatever that is. And I still remember her making that statement because all the ladies on my road that I grew up on were attached by a little plug to the socket in the wall, you know. <laughs> and they just ironed morning, noon and night and they had the top ringer, you know, washing machines. They spent their life attached to their husband's shirts, you know. And I thought this was a revolutionary concept that you wouldn't know what your husband had in his wardrobe. Yeah. So I've been very careful to carry that forward into my yes. own life. <laughs> a lot of crinkly shirts in your house. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, let's talk about hopscotch. Mm. So a memoir, kind of daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the idea of mm. writing about your whole life. But what you did quite carefully was decide, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to write about a few years mm. of my mm. life. Mm. How did you come to that choice? I think you need, <clears throat> well, I mean, when I didn't, I it was suggested to me that I would write Hopscotch because I don't think I would have ever had the chutzpah really to go to knock on somebody's door and say, I want to write a memoir, you know, um, about my days in suburbia. But <laughs> I, they came to me and I said, I don't know how to do that. I don't, how, I don't know how to begin. I don't know how to approach that. And Brian Langan, who's a fantastic editor, son actually of a photographer from, from this part. Um, Pat so, Langan, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, Pat's son. He said to me, focus your... Focus the narrative down on on narrow point. A narrow. Try and think in a smaller way. And then I went home and I was thinking about it. And I thought, God, now I went to school when I was four to this convent school, and my father was very. He was two things. He was a snob 
who had no money, like not a bean, right? But he, for all sorts of reasons, he didn't trust the kinds of institutions that were around him. And he'd been, he'd witnessed a lot of, um, you know, kids been been hit and all sorts of things in his school. And he, so he decided to send us to a private school, a fee paying school. And That's good when you've no money. Yeah, no idea. money. Fee paying school. <laughs> the whole thing was the nuns weren't allowed to slap you or hit you when you paid the fees. <laughs> so this good, is it. Good money. Like. So anyway, so I went to this school when I was four and I was expelled from it when I was 10. And so I thought, God, when that's really clear, that's like five and a half, six years of my time in that school, which was also a time of um, there was a kind of big split going on for me because in the school there was a whole world of a religious education and a kind of moral education. There was the Irish language and there were lots of saints and there were plaster virgins on plinths and there was knitting and all these sorts of tranquil things going on. And at home, it was kind of wild. I had three teenage siblings. I had my father, who was a lawn to himself, and my mother, who spent a lot of time singing in the bath with her lipstick on. And they were just not fitting into the life that I was experiencing at school. And I took, uh, I took the parables and the commandments and all the stories terribly seriously. Not they were teaching us, that the nuns were teaching us. And so I was, and I tried, you know, kind of single-handedly as a kind of very small army in a grey uniform to enforce uh, <laughs> those rules on my parents and siblings who, who were much more interested in ironing their hair and going to hops the and the Beatles and, you know, smoking fags down the back of the garden and nobody was listening to me at all. <laughs> so actually it's just revenge. I'm just <laughs> finally telling them what they should have been doing. But it is interesting, that contrast, because also at the same time, your father is having an affair. Mm, and yeah. at one point in the book, you kind of ha- you get taken to where he's yeah. with the woman and you put him yeah. in one room while your father works in inverted commas in the other yeah, room with yeah, this woman. Yeah, and yeah. you have very clear memories of that, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I had I have to say, I mean, I called I was thinking when I was very, very close to Bob, to my father and remained very, very close to him up till the day he died. And I absolutely adored him. Um, and he was a character with with faults, obviously. And uh, I just want to it's interesting because I was talking about this the other day to somebody. Memoir is interesting, right? Memoirs are very we all have a rattle bag of memory inside of us. We all have stories to tell. We all have very deep-seated memories. And and and, our, and like a kind of pebble or a stone in the bottom of our shoe, we'll, we'll keep coming back to certain certain moments, certain memories, certain points, certain days even, certain colours, certain fabrics. And those are the things that are very useful to hang your, your writing on. With Bob, I our weekends were sacrosanct. I went everywhere with him. He and I were a team. We were pals. So his life was my life. I felt that he and I were one. And so he would shake out a sweet afton from the box. He'd put it in his mouth. He'd turn the collar of his jacket up. I'd be shaking out the imaginary sweet afton. I'd be turning my collar up. I'd be like hunching down Grafton Street in my T-strap sandals. It would be cool. You know what I mean? Like I was him as far as I was concerned. There was no separation between us. You know, he was everything I wanted to be. We were the same person. And so he had an affair that went on for 11 years of his life. So if he was... (laughs) And he also (laughs) had... It sounds so... Yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, he also had his 
friendship with me. Um, and those two things somehow were not incompa- incompatible for him. And so I kind of rolled along in his wake. I was so involved with him, I had no idea that he was the father of my siblings. I assumed that they came from somewhere else. Like, I thought, well, like, that would be, like, really dumb. How would you have four kids? Like, that's silly. Because, <laughs> like, he has me. Yeah? He wouldn't and need anyone else. Like, why would, you, why would you need anyone else? You know, and Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mary and Joseph only had God, uh, Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, there were a lot of examples of kind of interesting relationships between fathers and, and children. Um, which is not to, I'm not kind of aggrandizing myself, but this was how you begin. Every child's normality is normal. So I don't know what was going on behind other people's doors, but this is what was happening behind our doors. And I thought it was absolutely normal. And did you have any sense of your mother being betrayed or, you know, you know, that it was or was it because it was kind of open? and there was Yeah, no, she didn't know. She didn't know <laughs> everything. You know, she found out pretty, pretty quick. Um, you know, to be honest, to be really honest, um, I was less interested in that. That was maybe beyond my capacity to understand. Mm, yeah. I don't know if I understood betrayal. I don't know if I really understood for, at that age, the consequences of his actions. You know, he was a very exotic creature whom I, whom I loved. But, you know, and this is important. I'm writing about the 60s. You know, so say I went to school in 66. The memoir goes more or less from 66 to 71. Right. We need, I needed to understand where those people were coming from, where my parents were coming from. They were two very attractive, very vibrant, very funny people who met in art college and had a blast. My mother left art college a couple of weeks later because she got a job as a singer in the Royal and the Capital and the Gaiety. Right. She was making money. She, you know, she said to me and she'll murder me now putting this out (laughs) and thing. She said to me, I just wanted to sleep with him, but I couldn't sleep with him without marrying him. How can you? You can't. No, you're not. You're not let. You'd have been shot. So back in, you know, know? nowadays it would have just been. So what would you have done? You meet. She was what, 21 or something? And he was 24. I don't know. You see, you're 21, you're gorgeous, you know, you've got a waist the size of a teacup, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're running around Grafton Street, you're having a blast, you meet this lovely bloke, you have a great time. You know, now we know where that ends up. <laughs> you know, post-mulligans, you know, <laughs> you go back to their bedsit. I don't have bedsits anymore. But, like, then it was... Yeah, you get married. You got married. Yeah. And, and that is it. So then within a year, so there's no, you don't go on the pill. Yeah. You know, within a year, Laura was born, then Valerie and then Robert. They were like steps of stairs, 11 months between the three of them. So Mary, who had a career, who had extraordinary potential, beautiful woman, wonderful voice, profession. Suddenly she's in this suburban box with three babies and nappies steeping all over the, the hallway. You know, where do you go with that? And if I'm to judge him or her by the standards that I would apply to myself mm-hmm. or to my era, I'm, as a writer anyway, I'm making an error. So I need to look at them in the context of their time. And, you know, they did the best they could. Mm. They stayed with one another till he died as well, which was really 
It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. And it's oh, I think you you it was, she was your mum was forty five when it kind of all came crashing down. The, yeah, the bailiffs came like the, the domestic came. situation yeah. was yeah. was yeah. was always precarious. Yeah. Bailiffs so, came and she found out about the fair. And she she, she found age. out before that. She found out about the, the fair a bit before that. But yeah, no, Bob was an artist. He didn't have any money. Um, you know, she was a singer. I mean, for God's sake, really. You know, like as if one of us had been a dentist, it would have helped. But <laughs> you know, so the bills didn't get paid. Checks bounced like you know little rubber balls all around the, <clears throat> the streets. And eventually, the bailiffs came, knocked down the doors, took away all the furniture, left us beds, took the clothes, which I didn't really realise till recently, and took everything. And my siblings moved out. Um, my brother had already gone. Um, and we were on the road. We were, we were finished. Myself and the, my parents, the, two, the three of us, got in his, got in his car and uh, with bin bags full of what was left in the back and, and uh, started again. And presumably that's a very vivid uh, it was. It was a very. It is vivid. And, but again, for me, there was a normality in it. And I know that's difficult to believe. I mean, my, and I, I say it in the book, I had a really overwhelming desire to get a dog. I mean, my biggest sensation was, Bob had said to me, this is a new adventure, and you know what? Sooner or later, along this line, we're going to get a dog. I thought, oh, man, we are going to get a dog. So, like, you know, front doors hanging off its hinges. You know, everyone is gone. And of course, but but I mean, it. I think the emotional... The emotional charge has never left me because when I sat down all these years later at the request of these lovely people in Doubleday to write a memoir what did I go back to? Mm. I go back to the bailiffs I go back to the affair I go back to all of that so obviously that is a kind of point of where I the me, the child me took a breath and stepped back and protected myself while I watched all this stuff going on Mm. And that's where I went back to in the memoir. And I suppose the observer in you, the writer in you, was there taking all the details, really. I I think so. Ready for later on. And people say to you, um, how do you remember stuff? And I, I, how do you forget? (laughs) You know what I mean? How do you forget? Because if you just, all you have to do is kind of very slightly push the door of memory. (laughs) and, And it's right there. It's right. You can walk into the room. You can take a look around. You'll see the people. You'll see their shoes, you know. It's all there, and I'm just interested now. And in you, as a parent, you've got the you've, you've uh, two boys. Two boys. So the twenty one and twenty. Four, Pete's, Pete's 20 will be, and Peter 14. will be twenty next. Did, did the kind of um, precariousness of your upbringing, in a way, in terms of the the financial mm. bit and the domestic mm. upheaval and all that kind of thing, when you did have your own home and your own mm. settled down, did you find yourself kind of wanting to? To, to be different to that or was it kind of like were you a bit like that because that's just was the way you were brought up or no, how did it kind of manifest I think I wanted to be different and I mean I was I was thir- like I was an awful lot older than my mother I was 34 when I had Peter and I was 40 when I had Jake so <clears throat> no I really really had a sensation of wanting stability for them and and I was very lucky you know we moved into um, a house in the suburbs that had a, a big green at the back and so now I watch these two little boys going, you know, kicking football and they went to the local school. And I really like being part of a community. Yeah, I really, we moved a lot when I was young. I mean, I moved, I don't know how many times, I can't even remember now. But I really liked that sensation of being 
part of a community of walking to the shops and they're the same shops. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and no, and so my I've lived, you know, my um, youngest son was born into the house that he lives in now. Mm. I mean, to me, that's <laughs> mind blowing. You know, to him, it's completely normal, <laughs> you know. You mentioned um, liking being part of a community there, mm-hmm. and that's something that's sort of people talk about a lot now. Whether that whole community thing is dying, and whether mm-hmm. we need more of it, or you know, and perhaps the influence of the church waning. That the community is more important than ever, but mm-hmm. in fact, the church was the thing that kind of kept that going. What's your own take on how community is, and, and in your own sort of experience? I don't know. If, I don't know if if the church is what kept community going. It kind of kept people leashed to some kind of idea, maybe of what community was. I mean, I live in a housing estate and it's there's a great, um, it's quite a big estate and there's a great sense of purpose around the estate. I mean, I go running around the green with the women who... Do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, I mean, I sometimes, you know, roll off and go home and have a glass of wine. But, <laughs> I mean, I do. I go running around the place. I'm gonna How go, many times do I'm they run do around I'm going to do the Camino it? with them. Are you doing Yeah, it? well, four days of the Camino, yeah. Yeah. Um, four days, let's not go too four far. Four days, let's not kill ourselves here. Um, you know, there is a good, the school, I mean, I remember, God, I me and my kids started going to school locally. And this, it was so sweet, you know, and come out with their little, you know, with their drawings and their days and people standing around the school gate. I mean, I was lucky because most of my, all my work, I'm freelance, you know, and so all my work I did at home. And I was able to walk down to the school and pick them up from school when they were finished. And then, you know, I'd throw them out the back and try and write another column or another whatever I was doing but I think I think women create community a lot I think women can create community around them and I think that you know there are these there's kind of waves of you know children being a certain age will connect you to parents of that age there's I mean things like football became a community for me and if anyone had told me when I was propping up the barn grogans that you know football was going to become that important to me (laughs) in my later life I would have told them to no, you're wrong, I would have said. That's not me. But it did become me. I was good. Um, well, listen, as I said, the book is out in uh, paperback now. People should definitely read it. It's beautifully written, as all Thank your you. stuff is. You just are such a fine writer. But if you look back now, a fine old age of 54, with many, many years more to go and possibilities. How many? <laughs> have you any regrets, Hilary? Um, yeah, I do, actually. I have one really big regret. Well, it's regret. I don't know if it's a regret. And again, no, I left school. I did my leaving search when I was... Um, kind of I don't know I'm, I was born in May so I would have been 17 in the May when I left school and I started wait, uh, childcare and waitressing and years went by like years and years and years and years and years went by I would really love to have gone to college I would love to have done English I would have loved to have had the time to read and like when you know I met my husband and stuff and he'd been to college and he just you know there were all these books around him and like, there were books at home as well but these were and, you know, my, my son is in college now. My older son is in college now and he's doing English. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, just I would love to have been a student. But you know what? It's not too late. No. No, it's not my too late. My mum went back and did um, English and history in Trinity, like when she was in her or 60s. Yeah. I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot. And actually, do you know what I think about sometimes? Because I work, I'm... Sounds very pretentious. So I work with words all the time. Oh, you do work you know, with I'm words. I'm always writing. Do you know what I mean? Slightly kind of go, oh God, I'm sick of bloody writing. Um, <laughs> I would, I'd really like to go to art college. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you arty my, as well? Yeah, like? well, my dad was a painter, my sister paints, and my brother, my brother writes and paints and teaches. And um, 
Yeah, no, I, I sometimes think I'd really like to go it was like a, an art and English degree. Does that exist? But, you know, I bet they, I should bet they feed each other, though. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So I sometimes think about going, maybe knocking on the door. Do you, and would you pick pictures with the words, out. darling? Pictures oh, with the darling, words. Oh, darling, it's so sweet. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming in (laughs) and talking to us about Hopscotch and your life. And I'm dying to see what you're going to do next. So what are you going to do next? Uh, I'm writing a novel. Excellent. Who isn't? (laughs) Yeah, who isn't? Yeah. So can I come back when I've written it? Because that'll kind of make me do it. (laughs) Will you buy me a gin and tonic? I'll buy you a gin and tonic if you write your book and come back and and talk about it. All right, that would be really good. Hilary Fanning, thank you very much. Thank you. The programme is produced by Jenny Ryan with Rob O'Sullivan on sound. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.